You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. We're officially done with our Countdown to Camp series, and even though Bears Camp isn't quite here just yet, we have just a tad bit more that we want to discuss before next week. I'm Russell DeWitt, and I'm glad that you're joining us today for what should be yet another fantastic episode. I'm accompanied by both my co-hosts, Nicholas Moriano and Mason West, and we're all set to discuss our collective top 10 storylines to follow throughout Bears camp. What we did was lay down a list over 20 storylines that are on our minds heading into camp, individually ranked each and every one of those in order of importance, and then I averaged up the scores and took the top 10. So all I can say is, thank God for spreadsheets. Guys, even though we have, you know, have some of our own individual top 10s that didn't make the cut, I feel pretty good about what we have in store here today. How about you all, Nick? Yeah, just kind of looking at the spreadsheet, I would say for the most part, we were all kind of in line of what we thought were some of the top storylines. Obviously, there were some where maybe we were a little off, but yeah, this is, again, what we think is the most important, and maybe you have different ones, and that's what the comments are for. What did we miss? So you can probably provide that at the end, but... I would think consensus. We did a pretty good job here. I, I think so, too, Mason. I know we'll get to honorable mentions in just a moment, but there was one in particular that you had ranked almost on the very bottom, and then Nick and I had to rank near the very top, which I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I have a bone to pick with you guys. I don't know what you're thinking for this uh, upcoming season, but that should not be in the top 10, but that's just me. Well, we'll definitely debate that one once we get it. So I want to get to our honorable mentions. And Nick, I actually thought of an additional storyline, and I'll talk about it at the end, that I thought, hey, maybe that should have made our list. But we're only three people, three brains, and it's a short week, and we're doing double duty tonight, recording two different episodes. Uh, So maybe there'll be a bonus storyline that we can discuss here towards the end of the show. So here are some honorable mentions. I'm going to list them, and then I'm going to go to each and one of us to discuss uh, any of them that you wanted out of it, just in case you had something you wanted to say so first one I have is how many reps is Damian Williams getting throughout camp is he seeing the RB2 reps is he out there during those third down situations maybe more than a David Montgomery trying to figure out what his role is on offense and outside of that we have looking at the outside linebacker rotation behind Mack and Quinn how are they being utilized who is the second team is that going to be a Tachu and Gibson Uh, how does Charles Snowden kind of play in the whole thing So pretty much, and we all know with uh, Robert Quinn, we probably don't want him on the field as much as last year. So how does that rotation stack up? On top of that, we have, is the Bears offense focusing and putting extra work in any special circumstances like red zone, third down drills, two-minute drill, four-minute offense, et cetera? What's Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor focusing on with his offense? And then maybe my favorite out of the whole list, though, who's returning kicks and punts? I'm kind of upset that that didn't make our top 10 because with no Cordero Patterson and Tariq Cohen, I swore that would have been a top 10 thing to pay attention to, but apparently I was in the minority there. Nick, any of those that you wanted to just kind of highlight or one that you kind of wish made the show? 
You know, I do like the outside linebacker who's kind of taking those second team reps. That's one where we know Robert Quinn and the lack of production that he had last season. So I think it is important to know if guys behind him, like Itachi, like you mentioned, are in Travis Gibson being a, a former fifth round pick now going to year two. If those guys are stepping up and making some noise here in training camp, because down the line, we could see those, well, especially Itachi, but maybe Gibson, we might see a little bit earlier than maybe Bears fans were expecting prior to Robert Quinn playing his season because he, he obviously is vastly underperformed last year. So that's definitely a storyline that I think we'll still be paying attention to once we get to training camp. Oh, just because it didn't make our top 10 doesn't mean I'm not paying attention to come camp. And I don't, Nick, I know I didn't get tickets. Mason, you didn't get tickets to attend camp. Uh, Nick, you may have some connections, even though you didn't get tickets to still go. So I'm very proud and excited for you uh, as much as it pains my heart. This will be two years in a row, like only two years in the past 15 uh, that I haven't even been to Bears camp. But I'm going to kind of live vicariously through you. But Mason, out of those honorable mentions, what stands out? Honestly, I was going to say the same thing with that outside linebacker one, just because the age that you have in the starters, if you're going to see a trend, I think when we start talking about our top 10, at least from my perspective, this year is really about development, people taking the next step, right? It's not about purely winning this year. Obviously, I think that I hope that's obvious to a lot of the fans out there. So it is. Can Charles Snowden be, you know, a diamond in the rough? Can Travis Gibson step up and, you know, be who the Bears clearly think he was when they traded up to get him? But I think, Will, you left out one that was really important, the presence of Jay Booty, Jake Butt. Why, why was that not an honorable mention? <laughs> uh, that's a really valid point. Well, here's why or how I took the honorable mention. So I told you how we ranked everything. Yeah. All of the honorable mentions that I mentioned actually had a rank of 13 or less, just to show how close some of these were. So I took what was in that fringe territory, and after the 13 rank, it dropped down to 16. So that's where I kind of cut it. But I know, Mason, if I remember correctly, on the special teams episode, you even snuck in some Jake Butt talk near the end of that show. And here you are on the top of another show, already bringing it back. Hey, I think Jake Butt is going to low-key be an important part of this team, sneak in in that kind of maybe 52, 53 man, and really push the those tight ends to have to step up their game. He could be an heir apparent to Jimmy Graham. I mean, he was supposed to be drafted significantly higher than he was if it wasn't for the injury bug. So he has the talent, just can he stay healthy? And that's a huge storyline to follow throughout Bears camp. Nick, I'm excited to jump into our collective top 10 debate, what should have been there, what shouldn't. But most importantly, this isn't going to be a debate style. We're going to explain to Bears fans what they should be paying attention to at Bears camp if they're there or if they can't make it, and then the importance behind all these storylines and how they kind of impact the season depending on their outcome. But before we get into the top 10, since we've done honorable mentions, I know you have a message from our friends over at Manscaped. Yeah, so the Olympics, Euros, baseball, major championships, and concerts are all in this summer. You know what isn't? A wild and hairy bush. Tamer pubes with help from our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Their fourth-generation performance package includes the brand-new Lawnmower 4.0. If an athlete treats their body like royalty, why not treat your pubes like Olympic gold? Guys, do right by your balls and join the over 2 million men who trusted Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and using the code FANSIDED20. After trimming your pubes, show them some sportsmanship with Manscaped's liquid formulations. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner 
are the key to feeling victorious this year. And Manscaped also threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE at manscaped.com. Achieve pubic glory this year with Manscaped. That's right, code FANSIDE2020 at the end of that code to go ahead and get yourself a pretty good deal. Helps us out in terms of hopefully having Manscaped around throughout the Bears season. All right, guys, it is time to jump on in to our top 10 storylines to pay attention to at Chicago Bears training camp. So storyline number 10, it's going to be Eddie Goldman's shape. Uh, We all know that he'll be showing up to camp on time. We've seen a glimpse of him working out in the area, but after a year off from COVID and not participating in any OTAs or minicamp this season, what type of shape is Eddie Goldman going to show up to camp in? And can he get back to form after just so much time away from the team? Nick, why is this an important storyline in your eyes? It's important because Eddie Goldman is a key part of this Bears defense. And we saw games without his presence and without the whole the whole season, really, where teams could run up the middle without any kind of resistance. And Eddie Goldman's a big part of providing that resistance for this Bears defense. But I'll say this, just being at Spear Training Center today in Vernon Hills, where some of the Bears have been working out at, Eddie Goldman was also there. Seeing how those trainers put those you know professional athletes to work, I know he hasn't been a part, he's been away from the team, but I, I feel a lot more confident him being relatively good shape. And of course, training camp, that's what training camp's for, but it's, it's important that he at least is getting back into that football shape. And then because of what I just said, how important he is to the middle, this anchor really of this Bears defense. Yeah, run game, run defense last season wasn't what we're used to. Bears getting gashed, as you mentioned. And I can recall going to a handful of training camps with Eddie Goldman there, and he's already making splash plays in the line of scrimmage in some of these run drills at the goal line situation. And if Eddie Goldman's not showing some of those signs early on, not that I would be overly concerned, but I think that will show a little bit of that rust nature that could potentially still be there for Eddie because we're talking about his physical shape, getting back into game shape. Uh, it take, It's different working out by yourself than it is working with a professional football team and really just mentally there. Uh, the scheme has changed a little bit since he's been here. How engaged has he been throughout the year in terms of his job, his responsibility on each and every kind of you know play call that they can maybe dial up for him? But what about you, Mason? What are you looking for in terms of Eddie Goldman entering camp and his play shape as well as his mental state? There is such a big difference between in shape and in football shape and then even layers of football shape, right? It's like if you are someone that runs avidly and you try to go play pickup basketball for the first time in a year, you're going to be gassed after the first five to 10 minutes. It's just different. And not just that aspect, but also having someone across from you, right? There's a difference between pushing a 300, 400 pound sled and pushing against a 360 pound lineman that is trying to crush your soul, right? So all of that <laughs> has to factor into this. I mean, he has, he's been away for a year. He did miss OTAs. It's going to help that Sean Desai believes at the home because, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to be similar. At least it isn't a brand new scheme of someone else entirely new coming in. So that's going to help from that state. And at the end of the day, man, it, with someone who is also such a big individual, that's going to factor in too, right? Like what is his weights when he comes in, all that stuff. And 
you can just tell how important he is to this team. Just today, Akeem Hicks was talking about the importance of Nettie Goldman, right? And that's the one that lines up next to him in theory on a day-to-day basis. And so if, if anyone knows the importance, it's going to be Akeem Hicks. It sure is. And yeah, Eddie Goldman, I don't want to underestimate his importance. We we didn't do that last year. We knew coming into the season that his absence was going to loom large. And I think we kind of saw the impact that it had on this defense. So the ability for Eddie Goldman to come back, not just come back, but come back in the proper shape and just being physically and mentally engaged, even though that may take time, I think that's something to watch. Even if he shows up a little rusty, can he kind of get back to form by the time camp ends and preseason kind of comes to a close? I think that kind of is the big thing here uh, on Eddie Goldman. Nick, any final thoughts before we move on to number nine? No, let's do it. Get him to number nine. All right, so the number nine storyline to watch at Chicago Bears training camp. Who's getting those nickel corner reps? Uh, we talked about it during Countdown to Camp and throughout the entire offseason. The Bears need to replace Buster Screen. Uh, there was a time where we thought they should be drafting someone with a nickel corner kind of background. Duke Shelley last year, he showed some glimpses late last season when he entered the starting lineup in place of Buster. But will anyone else get a shot at the job? So paying attention to when that first string defense is on the field, they won. Uh, with open practices, who's out there at nickel? Are they rotating anyone in? And then who's lining up there at the second team nickel? Because that's who would potentially be pushing a, a Duke Shelley. Mason, how about you? What is kind of on your mind as we enter camp in terms of the nickel cornerback position battle? As I said at the beginning of the show, this year's all about development. So trying out, especially during training camp, multiple people in that first string would really be my hope. You know, there's, there's no one set in that spot. I don't think Duke Shelley's guaranteed that position by any stretch of the imagination. And so seeing what a Thomas Graham Jr. can do, right? Like, I would love to see what he can do running with the ones just because of his potential. Uh, we kind of know what Duke Shelley is. I mean, we, not, not super well by any stretch of the imagination. He hasn't had the most snaps. But, you know, we know that he's not, again, he's not locked into that position. Yeah, he's sure not. There's no lock here uh, whatsoever. It's a wide open competition. And the problem is right now, it's not a problem, but the situation that we have before camp is we don't know what their plan is here. Like not one bit, not one single iota. Nick, when you get to camp and you're paying attention, what are you looking for, no matter who's out there, that kind of gives you some glimpses or some promise as to who's going to win that job and if you're going to be good at it? I think the big thing is consistency, and it's going to be from a day-to-day training camp. Who's getting the start on the maybe the Tuesday practice? Does that change by the end of the week? Is it a Duke Shelley at first? And then, again, Thomas Graham Jr. eventually gets that spot later in the week. So that's going to be, if it fluctuates at any point, I think you're seeing the Bears are still trying to decide who exactly is going to start week one at the nickel position. I still think that Duke Shelley is the front runner, but who knows what can happen in camp? It, throughout the days, throughout the practices, and, and sessions and one-on-ones, whoever can do better in the red zone maybe. That could sit well with coaches because obviously you want to prevent touchdowns. So those are things I will be paying attention to, and we'll see what ends up happening at training camp, though. If you had a guess, Nick, who is in contention or who will the Bears at least give a look here? Duke Shelley's the obvious one. Does Kendall Vildor have a shot to slide inside if he doesn't win the outside battle or things of that nature? Trey Roberson, I'm, again, I'm just throwing names, but I think Trey also, you know, given his background, his ability to play inside and out, that should be another potential option they should at least explore. It should be an option, but I think maybe the best three. So if Desmond Trufant 
were to win that outside cornerback spot, I think you'd want to try to find a way to get Kendall Vildor on the field because if you're talking about Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, and Thomas Graham Jr. at this point, I think I'm going to take Vildor just because I know he has that interchangeable skill set to go outside and inside just from um, Georgia Southern. So I think that would be the guy if, you know, Trufant is just showing that he's going to take that spot opposite Jalen Johnson. I would like to see Vildor get an opportunity in that nickel position. Mason, my final question on this storyline, I'll address it to you. It's a question I asked Nick a couple times last year entering camp. I'd just be real interested in your perspective. When it comes to this position battle, would you rather see a battle where it's two guys in contention throughout camp, battling it out throughout preseason, or would you rather have one guy just run away with the job early and then just make it a close and shut case? Competition does always breed the best out of all of us. However, if there is someone that has that lockdown and just runs away with it, there must be a reason that that's happening, right? I mean, they're clearly showing that they are better than the other person that is in contention. Now that may maybe you hope it's not because that person, the first string is okay, and the guy who's battling is like really, really, really bad. Uh, but in the right. say in this scenario, it's because the first stringer is just that good. So I would always go for the second one. All right, Mason going for option number two. Let's jump into storyline number eight to pay attention to at Bears camp, and that's going to be, does Cole Komet appear to be taking on a larger role within this offense? Uh, Remember, it was a slow start last year for Komet, but he did finish strong. Uh, 79% of his receptions came after week 10, and he went from a player averaging 25 or so snaps per game to someone playing over 60 snaps in the final month of the season each and every week. Now, there's been some buzz from OTAs that Komet, who said that he's feeling faster and stronger this year. Uh, this is his first real OTAs after COVID kind of nicks those a season ago. Komet, who attended you know tight end university, he should be poised to take on a bigger role. But does that really start to appear in training camp, or are we looking for yet another slow start? Nick, what are you going to be paying attention to with Cole Komet when we get out there, well, when you get out there, I guess, uh, at Hallis Hall to watch him practices? I know it's unfortunate to say that, Will, but I think what I'm going to be watching for Cole Komet is how often he's out there and if Matt Nagy is just trying to utilize more two tight end sets. Because I was saying on, on the quarterback show, Nick Foles, when he was you know throwing passes, they were way more efficient doing so out of 12 personnel when there were multiple tight ends on the field. So I want to see if Matt Nagy's kind of adjusting, taking what Bill Lazers taught him when he was offense coordinator. And putting Cole Komet out there, having him run seam routes. And also, I think the big there was a big criticism about maybe two weeks ago, going on Twitter, of course, about Cole Komet and creating separation, right? So I think – and I think some of it's valid and some of it's just people on Twitter being mad because it's like a random Wednesday or whatever. So I want to see how Cole Komet can do against some of these linebackers. He's obviously going to be matched up against a Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan. If you could separate from Danny Trevathan – kind of expected at this point but if you could do it against Roquan Smith that's where we're seeing maybe this growth how this tight end university has helped him learning from some of the best tight ends in the league so that's what I'll be watching out for what about you Mason is there any specific kind of element to his game that you want to see out of Cole Komet in camp to just show you that he is progressing whether that be red zone production on those one-on-one drills going up against linebackers being involved in the offense, I think in between the 20s for me personally is what I want to be able to see. 
Is it third down in their drill and they're throwing it to commit or are they avoiding them? Like those are kind of things I want to see. I want to see him be a focal point in the offense, uh, you know, before he reached the red zone specifically. But how about you? What would you pay attention to? The two biggest things for me are going to ultimately be how versatile is he? Is he constantly in line? Do they have him split in the slot? Do they have him actually on the outside? Or, and also secondary to that, what is the route tree that he's running? A lot of the routes that he ran last year were, you know, in the flat, maybe a five yard out, just very simple ones. Uh, I would like to see more seam routes from him, right? Can he actually run the Kelsey-esque route tree and take advantage of potentially maybe a linebacker that that is a little slower than him or, you know, a slot corner that is going to be a smaller than him? And because also when you look at last year, it was just odd how few snaps he was getting more in the middle of the year. He would do something really good in those like 10 limited snaps. Then we get to the press conference and Matt Nagy says, okay, well, we got to get, you know, Cole on the field more. You're the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Shouldn't you get him on the field more? So like if we don't see that in training camp, it would be hard to fathom that it's going to really carry over into the season. And I feel like too, why this is important because more so than last year, I feel like the Bears are going to feel obligated that they can give Jimmy Graham a pretty decent rest period throughout camp and let him just kind of wait in the sidelines and get to week one. Uh, just, you know, those veteran days, I think they're going to be in abundance for Graham. So Komet should be able to get all those tight end reps that he needs. And I know there's some shuffling behind Mason. I know you're wanting to see Jake Button get involved in this offense. So I, I can see why if Komet struggles in camp to really make an impact with this larger potential volume that he can see why Bears fans could be concerned. And that's why I want to see some headways. Some of those angry runs in practice. Just show me you're ready to take that next step before we meet and face the Rams come week one. Any final thoughts on Cole Komet, Mr. Moriano? No, but you mentioned Jake Butt. And I just thinking about like a headline, if he makes his team like in, is a lead block, you know, like, there's so many different things you can do with that. David Montgomery gets behind Jake Butt for lead block or something around that. I don't know why I'm thinking about that, but we can continue on to the next one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I went back to you uh, after I spoke. We should have went on to storyline number seven. So moving on to storyline number seven to pay attention to at Bears camp. How well does Andy Dalton run the offense? And this is the fun one uh, that I mentioned. Nick and I, we have this one rated quite high. I think both in our top four, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me trying to keep my internet uh, as lean as possible right now with what it's trying to power. But Mason had this near the bottom of his list. I was it Mason, was it the bottom bottom or like second to last? It was literally last. So I thought so. Peeling back the curtain a little bit, right? There was like a, two things listed. Boom, number one, I agreed with. Saw this listed on, in second line, and I was like, I literally wrote ha-ha in the little box and then went back and changed it to a 22. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to look at the edit history of your spreadsheet that I sent over to you. But you had this ranked at the bottom. Nick and I, again, uh, top four, maybe even top three here for the both of us. And I know I, for one, believe this is important because we need to see how Andy Dalton looks in his offense because it'll be telling us how long we may need uh, need to wait here for Fields' time. And I know, Mason, you have a rebuttal to that, right? Of course I do. I've rebuttaled everything. <laughs> you want to mention it? <laughs> so at the end of the day, I don't think it matters how Andy Dalton plays because it's a simple algorithm. If Andy Dalton looks good and Justin Fields isn't ready, Andy plays. If Andy Dalton looks good 
and Justin Fields is ready, Justin Fields plays. And you can just repeat that algorithm regardless of what Andy Dalton does. At the end, you know, unless we're Super Bowl bound, which you're really not, I don't think it particularly matters what he does and how far the Bears ultimately go. So let's just say for the sake of argument, Andy Dalton plays almost the entire year and brings the Bears to the NFC Championship game. Does that really, really matter in the long run? Not particularly, because it really all boils down to the quarterback. It boils down to Justin Fields. When Justin Fields is ready, he plays. I do not care what Andy Dalton does at all. Nick, can you tell Mason why he should? What was that, Will? Can you tell Mason why he should care? Well, yeah, so I think when we look at Matt Nagy's history and how he's kind of handled quarterbacks, look at how bad Mike Glennon played. I don't think Mitchell Trubisky was ready to play, and they kind of put him in, inserted him in week five. So he's kind of – sorry, that's obviously John Fox. But Thank you. Go, I was about to get yeah, you with that one. But then like, we go to Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. Like, he's playing bad. Let's make the switch now. I wonder if, like, this – how the Bears have handled quarterbacks in the past – also kind of translates to what they might do in the future in terms of, well, hey, Andy Dalton's not getting it done. Maybe Justin Fields is in. But it could also go a completely other way here than I have in my notes. They're going to keep starting Andy Dalton. He's a starter regardless. And because of Matt Nagy and this promise that they made, they're going to keep losing games just because they don't they don't want to start Justin Fields. So I think you it could go both ways here. But does history play into factor – where they do start Justin Fields before he's ready, or are they going to stick with Andy Dalton regardless of what happens, take the losses, and then you throw in Justin Fields? But they they signed him for a reason. They wanted him to be a placeholder until Justin Fields was there. So if he looks serviceable in camp, hey, at least they won't be crappy the first couple of games. And you can, like we talked about in the last show, just kind of stay afloat. And then maybe you could salvage the season and throw in Justin Fields when and hopefully when he's ready no he's gonna get he's gonna be ready eventually Uh, nothing about justin field screams it's gonna take a while uh, at least to me uh, and what we've talked about but when it comes to andy dalton i don't expect to see him a ton of preseason games Uh, i know they're gonna try to play the starters a little bit more than maybe they have in the past with the condensed preseason schedule but that's why i think it's important to just watch in camp how well andy dalton does he's going up against a really good bears defense although the secondary is going through some flex so we'll see how that all shakes out but if he struggles against this defense, remember how bad Mike Glennon was struggling in training camp? It was like interceptions, like galore. And come the regular season, it reared its ugly head from the jump. So if Andy Dalton's doing the same, then you start wondering, is this going to be similar results? Not comparing Glennon to Dalton, because I don't think that's a fair comparison. But if they're both struggling to the same degree, then what does that do to Nick's point? Like how much would they rush? Uh, Justin Fields and what kind of early part of the season are we looking toward if Dalton does struggle to pick up this offense to play at a good level enough against this defense isn't unable to build some chemistry with these receivers I think those are all very big things that must be paid attention to despite what Mason says so I mean I agree from the premise that yes if he doesn't look good we're gonna see Justin earlier however you could more or less replace him with insert any quarterback here, and that's going to be true in terms of who that veteran was. When Andy Andy Dalton wasn't, at the time, signed to be a placeholder for Justin Fields. At the time, he was signed to be the starter. I mean, the Bears had the a really low draft pick. 
there wasn't really an easy pathway to get a viable rookie. And I think now they're like, oh, shoot, we have we made this promise more or less to Andy Dalton. But look what we have over here. Didn't expect this to happen. What do I do with this now? So there is a little bit of a difference there compared to like if they had the number one pick and they were like, hey, Andy, you know, we're taking this person at number one. Can you just be there for a little bit? So it's it's a it's a tough situation for Andy Dalton. And at the end of the day, again, I just what he ultimately what he does is not that that important because it's just like eh, we're just waiting for Justin Fields. Yeah, there's some pressure on the Red Rifle here to perform like he needs to because he has someone more than capable to provide a spark to this offense behind him. Anything else on Dalton, Nick, before we move on to number six? And the thing is, too, in training camp, he could look awful and it could just be training camp where you're working out the kinks and trying to develop that chemistry timing and, you know, everything that goes with what training camp is meant for. So you ideally you would not like to see, you know, the starting quarterback really struggle against a a good Bears defense. But it could mean ultimately nothing when it comes to the regular season in week one. But it matters at Bears camp, and that's why I made our top 10, despite Mason's best efforts to drop that ranking significantly. Tried so hard to tank it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on to storyline number six to pay attention to at Bears camp, and that's going to be the battle for the CB2 job. We all know Kyle Fuller's gone, and we all said it during Countdown to Camp. Jalen Johnson, he's officially CB1. But who's going to be the other starting outside corner? The Bears brought in Desmond Trufant this offseason on a very small one-year deal. They also have Kendall Vildor pushing for that job, plus two guys in Trey Roberson and Artie Burns that were both gunning for this exact spot last year, but both had injuries that took them out of contention real early, kind of in that competition, handing it over to a Jalen Johnson. So, Mason, I'm going to go over to you. Who are you paying attention to in this battle, or who do you envision to? Because I guess the Bears will tell us here in just about a week. And what kind of nuances will you kind of keep in your mind as we kind of go through some of those training camp practices? I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. It's all This year's all about development. So I don't particularly see a reason that we really need to go with the 31-year-old Desmond Trufant, especially if he's on par with some of the other Uh, defensive backs that we have there and so i'm looking at individuals like kindle vildor right again nick had mentioned this back uh, in some of our previous podcasts a lot of sports writers uh the bears beat writers were talking about how well he was doing and that he was kind of leading that battle but for me uh, the dark horse is going to be trey roberson actually just before we got on i was out watching a highlight video uh the windy city productions made it's it was only about two minutes long but trey roberson really does have some skill and the injury he had right you kind of forgot about him a little bit but last summer there was conversations about him really you know being a part of this team in some way and there was a people were excited uh for him to to see what he was going to do in training camp so i would really love to see what trey roberson can do and can he push not really desmond trufant because if you go listen to our previous podcast which you should if you didn't listen to the cornerback one i don't have, think desmond trufant really has a high chance of making this team Interesting. I have a follow-up for you. I'm going to hold it for a minute. I want to see what Nick, where his mindset is on this battle specifically first. Well, I mean, it's an important storyline because we're talking about a starting position here on the defense. One that is you're going to be heavily targeted because if Jalen Johnson's number one, you know they're looking at, you're either going to target the second-year player in Kendall Vildo or the 
player going into year nine in Desmond Trufant, or it could put, potentially be a Trey Roberson. So regardless, this this opposite cornerback position of Jalen Johnson is going to be a guy that I think come you know throughout this season, opposing offense is going to look as potentially the weak link, right? And so that's why it's an important storyline to keep you know it just a knowledge of. But if both are struggling, or let's say it's Vildor and Trufant struggling at you know, this position and they can't stay with the receivers. And then we have some issues because one of those guys, I, I think it's going to come down to one of those guys, in my opinion, is going to end up starting. And so then you're going to see how this really, you know, rears its ugly head throughout the, the regular season. You made a really good point that quarterbacks, opposing offensive coordinators, when they're scouting this Bears defense, looking at that outside corner opposite of Johnson, we'll look at that as a weak link. And any football team, any unit is only as good as their weakest link. We've seen that before. We've seen Buster screen just get carved up in the Bears third down, third and seven. Oh, let it up to Buster. And it doesn't matter if you stop on the first two downs, if they have an easy outlet to gain those yards there when it matters to move this chains and continue yet another set of downs. So, for me specifically, this battle's important because, Nick, you said it, it's another starting job, a big starting job, because even though Jalen Johnson is filling Kyle Fuller's shoes, we still are replacing Kyle Fuller on this defense. And Mason, your point about development, uh, the question that came to my mind when you were talking about the development, so you're saying if Trufant and, say, Vildor are just neck and neck, you just give the edge to Vildor and let the younger guy kind of just learn you know, on the fly, even if he's slightly below what Trufant's showing you in camp? 100%. I'd be uh, booking Trufant's flight immediately. Okay. I, I just don't see, again, are the Bears winning the Super Bowl this year? If you had to put money on it, you know, you had to put $1,000 or an amount that would hurt you if you lost it, would you bet on the Bears winning the Super Bowl? I personally wouldn't. And so because of that, be, I mean, really – we're just looking to maybe make the playoffs, win a playoff game. That's just my personal thing, thinking, moving on. Why not try to get the person that has more years ahead of them? Try to get the person that maybe has some unlock, some potential that hasn't been fully realized yet, someone that doesn't have a litany of injuries, more experience, and see what they can truly become. Can't really disagree with you there. Uh, I know the injuries doesn't count for this player, but Artie Burns is still very young. Uh, I know he's coming off a pretty gnarly injury himself a year ago and we'll see come camp how healthy he is so maybe that's like a sub storyline in here can he even get into the realm of competing for this job or not it's busy and again once we get to camp who is the first corner out there the first time that defense takes the field opposite Jalen Johnson and then on top of that who do they sub in if anyone and then pay attention to that second team defense who's lining up at either outside because they're both probably gunning for that same job above them so just a few different layers there and things to pay attention to. If I was in the bleachers at camp, I'd be noting right away, okay, there's True Font and Vildor's over there and Duke Shelley's here and just kind of see where everyone's at. And that will give you a good understanding of what's to come in preseason as well as who's really battling because it's not like they show them like, all right, you versus you, we're going to go. You have to kind of pay attention to some of those subtle nuances. But with that, unless Nick, did you have anything else here? I just want to make sure. No, just I'm, I'm going to have all these things written down in my notebook. So when I go to training camp, like, all right, who's coming in now? But it's sometimes when you're paying attention to so many storylines, it's like you miss some of these things. So I'm glad that we're going over all these things right now. So I'm going to write them all down. I want to give you a bracelet that just has four W's. What would Will watch? And then you should just know. Ooh, there you go. Right? I like that. 
There you go. This, channel your inner will. Uh, I'm going to miss camp, so do it for me. All right, so we're officially at the midpoint of our list. And before we begin discussing the top five storylines to follow up Bears Camp, we have a couple of orders of business just to get here real quick. First of all, I want to thank everyone for their kind reviews of the show. Uh, we officially did surpass our goal. So we are over 700 reviews in Apple Podcasts, which means it's time to hand out a free Bears jersey to one lucky reviewer. So without any further ado, the winner of this Bears jersey giveaway is... Samina, S-A-M-I-N-A. Uh, that one came in, I think, this past June. Uh, so Samina, make sure to reach out to us. You can email me at will at chicagowaterball.com. Uh, you can also send us a DM on social media like Facebook or Twitter. Uh, let us know which jersey and what size you want it in, and we'll go ahead and send that out. So congrats again to Samina, M-I-N-A. I love it because it's username. So you don't know first name, last name. So if you're behind that username, reach out to me and we will get that jersey sent your way as soon as we possibly can. And on the same token of gratitude and appreciation, Nick, I know we have a couple shout outs that we're able to give away here in this episode. Yeah. And so we have one that came through Venmo and it comes from Hung2. And what's really cool about this is that, well, we didn't even ask for shout outs on the last podcast we did. And I'm going to... I'm going to tell you guys what um, Hung Tu wrote and in, in just the message there. Uh, they wrote, this QB countdown to camp got me so hyped. I had to send a donation to show my appreciation. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Like I said, we didn't ask for donations, but that is so cool to see that, you know, what we do here is, you know, resonating with our listeners. So Hung Tu, thank you so much for sending a donation. And Will, I know you have one as well. Yeah, I actually have dopes, uh, too. Uh, so I have one from Queen Elizabeth. I'm sure people know about Elizabeth from Lafayette, Indiana by now. Uh, someone that gives us uh, a modest donation is every month uh, on a recurring one. Doesn't ask for the shout-out, but every time I see that come through on PayPal, uh, you better believe it, Elizabeth. You're going to make sure, I'm going to make sure you get uh, the shout-out. And the other one I have is from Marty. Uh, I talked to him. He messaged us on our website. Saw the email come in on my lunch break. Uh, it was really cool, cool just talking to him, conversing, and uh, he just wanted to express uh, his appreciation from our show. He's been listening since before our name change, and uh, he said that we are, and I quote, comfort food for Bears fans, and I love that quote, and I love that description of our show. Uh, and he also wanted to make sure to add at the end that how just how much of an awesome addition Mason has been uh, to the team. Uh, so Mason, a little extra there. Uh, for you. Um, but Marty didn't know how to really figure out Venmo, not super comfortable with PayPal. So we're going old school. He's sending a check in the mail. Uh, so when I get that, uh, we'll do another shout out, but just wanted to at least mention that so people know, hey, if you don't want to go do the electronic route, we're more than happy to share some addresses and uh, you can go ahead and do the old school paper check. Uh, but Nick, you want to let people know if they want to go the virtual route, what they need to do to give us a donation, which will earn them uh, a shout out here on the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to send a donation through Venmo, here's how you can make that happen. If you just search up the username, the Chicago Audible, should see my name, the Chicago Audible logo. And if you want to do it through PayPal, what you'll have to do is type in www.chicagoaudible.com slash PayPal. And if that doesn't work, that some that sometimes that link is a little funky, you might have to do the HTTPS colon dash dash. And then fill it in www.chicagoaudible.com slash PayPal. But one more time for Venmo, just look up the username, the Chicago Audible. Again, you should see what our, our logo, my name, and that's how you can make it happen. Nick, do I really need to make just a donate page so you can just say slash donate, like when I get back from vacation? Two buttons and you just go one way or the other? 
Yep, those buttons would be <laughs> nice and handy. But hey, it, it's still working. People are finding ways despite, you know, maybe some technical errors. But that's all right. But buttons, definitely in the future after you get back from vacation. And I said next episode, I, I talked about at the top. We are doing a double rec- recording tonight. So next episode, unless something comes in, which one did, which I'm going to hit him up right now for a shout out. It may need to wait here just a little bit, but I saw a super chat come in from RockKim0431 here on YouTube, uh, giving us a little something something here in the chat, which is always a possibility as well. It's harder to kind of collect those in the donations for the shout outs, but whenever I see them pop up on the bottom of my screen, I want to make sure to give that too. So thank you so much for that support. It says long overdue. You know, it's perfect exactly the timing that it came. So thank you very much for all the support to everyone, whether it be the donations or the reviews. It means so much to all three of us here, which means it's time to breathe, reset, and go back to it. So storyline number five to pay attention to at Chicago Bears training camp is Tariq Cohen participating or not. Uh, We've mentioned it before. It doesn't seem like Cohen is progressing along the way you would hope coming back from that ACL tear that he suffered in week three of last season. So how active or not he is in camp should be a very strong indicator of his availability come week one. Mason, just in case someone missed it on either the special teams episode or the running backs episode, do you want to just give a brief reasoning as to why, from your perspective, you are concerned? Yeah, in general, right, NFL teams, they don't really show a lot. They don't really tell you a lot. We know that when, you know, week to week, you're looking at, you know, like the injury list and everything like that. But the few glimpses that we've seen from Tariq uh, with some maybe videos on his social, uh, there's a, a video that they put out where David Montgomery was mic'd up and you saw him kind of doing some stuff in the background. He just looks real stiff. And it's really, oh, at this stage, he should be a little more fluid. There, He should be able to potentially run through some stuff with the team, especially like in OTAs where, you know, it's glorified practices anyway. I mean, you're not really doing a lot. You know, he should be more of a participant. And without that, it's hard. In all reality, with an ACL tear, you want to be at that year recovery route. And we just saw today Saquon Barkley got put on the pup list. Uh, and that's and he got hurt early in the year, obviously, against the Bears in that uh, Bears-Giants game. And there's no problem with the pup list. You can get activated off of it you know, pretty much whenever. But it's really a, a way to manage that the players' minutes or how many reps they're getting, all those things. And I would not be surprised if Tariq starts on the pup list this year, too. Yeah, our next episode we're recording tonight, 53-man roster. I'm sure Tariq Cohen and his health uh, is going to impact how we are shaping up our rosters. If I just had a guess, although I know what exactly what it did to mine, uh, we'll get there soon. Uh, but Nick, if Tariq Cohen is unable uh, to perform, how does that impact not just the Bears' offense and the running backs uh, as a receiving game and as well as the return game. Well, it impacts obviously the offense, but then you also look at the special team aspect as a punt return. Like, does a Daz Newsom automatically go up the list? Damian Williams just jumps up to running back number two to start off the season. So the significance of not having Tree Cohen at full strength and Saquon Barkley got injured week two, Tree Cohen week three, and obviously Barkley's just on the pup. So that could be a indication where um Tariq Cohen could be so you're you're impacting a lot of guys and they just have to move up the depth chart to find guys that will take his role and I think that Damian will it's it, that's why it's so important that the Bears got a guy like that who is a true running back and can just you know catch pass out of the backfield be efficient in the screen game because that's where 
We saw Tariq Cohen use officially in 2018, and it really wasn't in 2019, and obviously 2020 was cut short. But he's he's a big part of, I think, what Matt Nagy would like to do offensively. But I think realistically, he has to look elsewhere to at least start this season. Yeah, and you mentioned Damian Williams. I was checking out the chat. Did you mention the other running back that may get additional looks as well here, right? Like Khalil Herbert, the rookie. If Cohen's here, man, sitting fourth in that depth chart with also Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce, you're not going to be getting a lot of quality reps. But now if Cohen is unable to kind of start practicing normally once camp begins, Herbert can get himself some touches here with the second team. And I think my sub storyline in here is if Tariq can't play, how well does Herbert look with the twos? Because if he's looking good with the twos, that gives me a lot of promise that he can be someone, as we talked about in the running back show, to still find his impact in his groove here as a rookie, even if he's behind Montgomery, even if he is behind a Damian Williams. He has so much potential and a lot of just prowess to his game that I would love to see him get some touches, give some other guys a breather, a little change up back. And so I want to see what Khalil Herbert can do if Cohen's unable to go with some of those extended looks. Mason, anything else on Tariq Cohen, the impact if he can't go? You know, it's funny so much when you sent the list is interpretation, right, of the statement. So with my interpretation, like I actually didn't even rank this in my top 10 because I wasn't worried about Tariq Cohen's participation because of the other people that were going to be there. I was like, all right, Tariq doesn't have to necessarily be there for two reasons. One, even when he was playing, you saw his production was dropping, mm-hmm. even in the presence of needing his kind of skill set or in theory what we need and what we would imagine Nagy's looking for, right? Looking for his Tyreek Hill kind of player. But then also because I'm so confident in Damian Williams and my boy Khalil Herbert, love Khalil Herbert. If you didn't listen to the running back episode, I gush about him for like five minutes. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting how the interpretation can go because I was like, eh, I don't, I don't think we need to reek right now and i say that and watch he's gonna come come off and just kill it this year and make me look silly yeah interpretation is everything and that's what i love about i don't know sometimes how we do things we keep it open to interpretation so we all can bring a perspective of how something resonated with all of us but i'm gonna call that the discussion here on tree cohen so let's move on to storyline number four and that's going to be how does the revamped offensive line look? And this is actually, I'll be transparent. We had a few different storylines for offensive linemen that kind of ranked around the same area for all of us. And we decided to combine them because it makes a lot of sense. So here's what I have to kind of set things up. When you're looking at the offensive line, come camp. How much shuffling is going on up there? At this stage, we do not know the sorting five. Uh, and we surely do not know who is lining up where. So it's going to be real interesting to find out uh, the very first day, the very first practice, who that sorting five is. And then all the combinations that the Bears try or maybe don't try. So what kind of plan do they have and do they stick with it? Nick, if you were a betting man, I guess, Mason, you put that phrase in my vernacular here for this episode. Do you think the Bears are going to toy with some different starting combinations up front? Or do you think they've scouted themselves? They have a five. They're going to go into camp with five and at least start preseason with a consistent starting five that they've been practicing with. Ooh, it's a good question. Well, I think they have a five in mind. I do think they have a five in mind that just how I think it will shape up. Jenkins, left tackle, white, white hair, left guard, must for center, Daniels, right guard, Fetty, right tackle. But I think it all really depends how Sam Mustafer is doing right in right in the center of things. If he has shown growth since being just thrown into the starting lineup from last season, 
then I think the Bears are going to feel comfortable with a starting five that may look like that. But if he struggles, that's where I think you're going to see a lot of shifting going around. And the Bears have done that with James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, you know, just going from left guard, center, right guard, and just, you know, a, a, a cycle. So I think it's all going to revolve, though, around Sam Mustafer and see how he's, one, just picking up maybe blitzes at the defenses are running and being able to feel comfortable with the new quarterback and not only Andy Dalton, but Justin Fields. So there's a lot on Sam Mustafer's plate and we're going to see how he kind of handles that in training camp. But I think it all starts with him. Yeah. And Sam too, as center, you're going to have to make sure everyone makes any of those adjustments up front. He has to communicate those effectively. And again, he did a decent job last year. He wasn't like a top 10 center in the league, but for being an undrafted guy, growing into that role, waiting in the wings. We all thought he looked serviceable, although I think all three of us thought the Bears should be investing at center a little bit more this offseason to at least push him, which wasn't the case. And I'm trying to go through my mind. Offensive line count on the camp. We had a starting five that we said at the end that sounded good. It was starting from left to right, Jenkins, and then like Daniels, and then Mustafer, and then Whitehair, and then a Fetty. And then we started throwing other combinations around because what happens if much for struggles? And then that's where I think we said like 10 of them and every single one felt like a real possibility. Like that could be the five. So I think this is a major storyline because heck, we'll go all the way back to Brandon. Games were won and lost in the trenches. And if the Bears can't figure out the right five early and they have to, they don't have time to build that cohesion as we talked about Andy Dalton maybe being a test dummy back there, that could be even more so of the case. Mason, when it comes to the Bears' offensive line, are there any specific players that stand out to you? I mean, we've mentioned Mustafer, but there are five others I can think of that are a contention to start here that maybe could start left side, right side, middle. Who knows? While I think that what Sam Musford does is going to be is incredibly important and an undrafted free agent rookie coming in and starting at center, by the way, is mind boggling to me. Like the fact that he did that is, is astounding. Um, the guards are going to be super important, right? Because what's one of the worst things for a quarterback is, you know, pressure immediately up the middle. And I feel like I couldn't go through a season previously kind of going back we weren't having conversations about, you know, where's Cody Whitehair starting? Is he at center? Is he at guard? Um, look back to Kyle Long. Is he guard? Is he going to play tackle? Like just having some consistency, it was going to be great for the Bears. And then there's like you know, snapping issues with Cody Whitehair. So just being able to have a healthy James Daniels, a Cody Whitehair in a position that he seems more comfortable with. Sometimes, you know, the sum is greater than the parts. Like, yes, maybe Sam Musfer is not necessarily the best center, but he allows the other players, those guards, to play their positions they're happier with. And then we're going to get to this later. But, you know, what is Tevin Jenkins going to look like at a position that he didn't play consistently? And there is that layer of the Jermaine Effetti. He seemed more, it was weird. In Seattle, he wasn't the best tackle. Uh, he did better at guard in Seattle. And then he came to Chicago and he did okay at guard and actually did relatively solid at tackle. And is he more yep. comfortable there? Which was weird all of a sudden. It's like, I don't know what's in the air in Chicago that makes him a better tackle. Um, and he came back on a team-friendly deal. He wanted to play here. So what Jermaine Effetti does is going to be super important as well because there is a chance that a lot of protection might get slid over to help a Tevin Jenkins. So Jermaine Effetti, you got to hold down that right side. 
And what about Elijah Wilkinson, who the Bears signed to a one-year deal this offseason as well? He's in the contention to start, at least in my mind. They wouldn't have signed him if they didn't think he could at least push someone for a starting job. Maybe he's just a really solid backup, and that's okay too. But I think the Bears wouldn't be doing themselves uh, a service if they didn't at least explore that option. We know about Larry Borum as well. So there's just so many guys, only five Alex spots. Bars. Alex Bars, who has experience too. And Nick, I know you... Talk to James Daniels a little bit today. Did you ask him, is he lining up as a left guard or a right guard? Because that's pretty important. I didn't. I didn't want to go there. Um, we only had about 10 minutes. No, we had. We were there for working out, and we were just kind of talking about Iowa stuff, just catching up on good restaurants and stuff. But I did not ask him where he's playing. But according to Adam Johns, it is right guard. That's where he was lining up in um, the OTAs and things like that. But just one thing to add about James Daniels and Sam Mustafer kind of situation, Sam Mustafer didn't play with James Daniels. So that's another mm-hmm. wrinkle in this whole thing that we, again, I think we, it's just another thing to add with the question marks and the revolving door of where this Bears offensive line could or couldn't be. So we'll, we'll see. Week one in training camp, or that first day, we'll see what ends up happening. But like I said, it all revolves around Sam Mustafer. It does. And also... I'm going to put a sub storyline in here then. James Daniels at right guard because I'm not going to try to pull up my notes. I don't want to kill my internet, but I believe he's had like three snaps ever at right guard. And if not, it's less than that. And at least with Cody White here, he's played kind of both sides of the equation. So for James Daniels, A, coming back from injury, B, playing a new position that he hasn't really played before. So that muscle memory is going to be a little different. Well, actually, he's not going to have any. He's going to have to change all of it. How does that kind of transition look and how long does he stay there if it's consistent or do they flip them just due to all the other variables that we talked about so I feel like this offensive line is a big one I'm very glad that it made our top five all right storyline number three to pay attention to at Bears camp is Anthony Miller getting those wide receiver three reps it may be a break or make camp for Miller if he's hoping to get some solid playing time this season. The Bears brought in veterans Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird, and they also drafted slot specialist Daz Newsom this year. There's a lot of competition for Miller, and it's going to be interesting to see how much reps Miller gets versus how many looks the Bears, Matt Nagy, Mike Fury, Bill Lazor, want to give some of these other guys those opportunities. So, Mason, to go over to you first, when it comes to Anthony Miller, and really in general, just the wide receiver three. Heck, I'll ask you the question. Do you think there's a battle for wide receiver three right now? Oh, absolutely. I don't think anything's going to get handed to Anthony Miller. Uh, I think with guys like Daz Newsom being there, uh, you got Marquise Goodwin, who's a speed demon. I think that's going to, you know, something that Nagy wants, take the top off. A certain quarterback uh, that has amazing hair that isn't red, kind of likes going deep. So, you know, that might be something that he enjoys having on the field. Um, But at the same time, I feel that their Anthony Miller is made of some stuff that he might want to prove some people wrong that the last couple of years, maybe he's felt a little comfortable just being kind of where he's at because there wasn't a lot of competition. Uh, we saw that right when uh, bears had to bring other receivers in and they're not here anymore because they only lasted for the year. So with true competition, with all the stuff going on, there's a solid chance that Anthony Miller really does finally step up his game. But are you going to have someone like a Daz Newsome run better routes? You saw that with, you know, Mooney Mooney came in and, he was a tactician with his route running. He was closer to what Allen Robinson did in terms of studying the game and being able to play pretty much immediately. So 
yeah, there's going to be a heck of a battle. So maybe rewording the storyline for the wide receiver three battle was one of those small tweaks that as I went through my day, a little too late for all of us, some of these graphics got pre-made. I was like, you know, we probably could have worded it a little different, but we can still have the right discussion. So Nick, when it comes to the wide receiver three battle in general, whether it be Miller, Bird, Goodwin, Newsom, what drills would you pay attention to? And I know I can say it with any position, you know, look who's there with the number two offense and if they shine. And I've already said that for a few, so I'll save it this time. But what specifically at this position are you looking for? Is it the route running? Is it the separation? For me, it's almost like those seven on seven and 11 on 11 drills. I love the one on ones. They're fun. But if they can't perform in an offense, like within a play, run that right route and get involved there in practice, then I have a little bit of a harder time believing you're going to make that impact come Sunday. The position drills are really what what the Bears, when they run the team drills and they're at third down, when who are they targeting at that point? That's a really good spot to have. If you have a good slot wide receiver, you can go to him. So you target that guy. So is Anthony one? Is Anthony Miller even in the play when they're in those third down situations? And also red zone. I think those are key places. Yes, you have a lot of weapons on this Bears offense, but if you have a guy that can just burn the nickel corner, create separation, and give a nice, easy outlet for whoever's playing quarterback to throw to, that's where I want to see if Anthony Miller's even in those situations. Because there was a lot of times last year, he's just not playing. He's getting replaced. They want to go Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, and then maybe put a tight end in there, and then maybe even you know two tight ends, whatever it may be. But like, is he being used more frequently, less frequently? Is Daz Newsome, I know, obviously coming off an injury, is he getting reps there? I think Bird and Goodwin will maybe take over for when Darnell Mooney's not in because they play primarily outside, but it doesn't mean you can't put him in the slot. So it's really, for me, I think this is Anthony Miller's job, in training camp at least. I think it's later in the season where you'll see him fizzle out if he's not doesn't show that Memphis grind that he's been talking about ever since he got here. And I think it, it you know, will help him stay competitive. But really, I think early on it will be Anthony Miller's job. I don't think he's in jeopardy of losing it, but it's when those first couple of games kind of happen where he fizzles out, then you'll see probably Daz Newsom taking most of those reps. I hope if someone outshines him in camp preseason that they don't just stick to their guns there and like, eh, we'll throw him out there to start the season. I would prefer them to be mindful of the guys they have and put the best players on the field, but I understand your point. Really, you mentioned a good point about them you know, going after the nickels a bit, although this position... It's inside and out because Robinson plays a lot in the slot as well. And so it would be real interesting. That's why I think a bird can fit because he can do a little bit of both. Uh, But we talked about the nickel battle, right, earlier. We have so many guys at two different positions that are going to be primarily going off on one another, whether it be the individual drills or in those 7-on-7s and 11-on-11s that are all fighting for their job. So if I'm at camp, I'm watching the middle of the field. I'm watching who's lining up in the slot, who's covering them, all those different combinations. And again, that should be feisty because these are guys pushing for starting jobs, pushing for playing time. So if you're looking for some iron sharpens iron, I think Bears wide receiver three, Bears nickel corner battle, and heck, that cornerback two battle because they're going to be going in and out. So this, to me, is where things get real exciting in terms of the grind of those camp, those practices, like where you get little scuffles and things of that nature. I think it can happen right here. Usually it's in the trenches. I think it can happen on the outside this year. Mason, anything else here? WR3? 
Man, I mean, Anthony Miller better be playing for his life. He better be, he better be living in that playbook, knowing every single route, you know, to the half a yard, because people are coming for him. Mm-hmm. Nick, you? No, he def- that's his biggest flaw. And if he hasn't figured it out yet, then then maybe Daz Newsom will take this job in training camp. But I think there there's talent there. Just freaking Anthony Miller. Just learn the playbook. Just have it next to you. Sleep with the dang thing. I don't know what you have to do, but that's what he needs to overcome, and he still hasn't done it yet. Maybe he can have his like kid or wife read it to him, like to bed. <laughs> like, well, how many yards do you run when we call into this play? Yep. Exactly. Just the whole family should be quizzing him all the time because we know he has the talent. He just if he's not in the right spot in this offense this year more than ever, it's going to be about timing and precision. We've heard it. We've heard from Nagy. It's going to no matter who's playing quarterback, if he's not in the right spot at the right time, he's going to not earn himself any playing time and doing himself a huge disservice but let's jump into storyline number two it's all offense from here on out spoiler number two Tevin Jenkins his transition to left tackle most of his experience in college did come in right tackle uh, and that's where he's earned kind of his reputation coming into this draft the Bears traded up for Jenkins in the second round making us look good because you know a couple weeks before we did the mock draft and traded up fields traded up for Jenkins and it all kind of came true um, they drafted him in the second round the plan is for him to be the team's left tackle that Charles Leno Jr. replacement it's going to be key to focus in on his transition here now he does have a little bit of experience in college at left tackle I started about a handful of games over the years and I actually found out researching this he actually did practice at left tackle all last offseason but he had to move back to right tackle due to an injury to a teammate once the year kind of got going but still left tackle in the NFL it's a beast of a position it's going to be a challenge for him to transition to it's not going to be one that he can't achieve it's just going to be something that it's going to push him a little bit so on top of that, some other things on my mind. How does he fare against a guy like Leo Mack, Robert Quinn? Can he hold his own on the blind side? As Mason said earlier, are they going to have to help him out a, a little bit more than maybe we've seen in the past with that left tackle? Nick, when it comes to you and Tevin Jenkins and left tackle, and we've talked about offensive line already a little bit, but now that we kind of narrow it down to our second-round pick in Tevin Jenkins, why is this so darn important? Maybe not just for this year, but to Mason's point about development, the future. Well, you have a franchise quarterback that you just drafted, and you're hoping that Tevin Jenkins can make this transition from right tackle to left tackle and be efficient at it. And more than efficient, be a a starter for years to come, make Pro Bowls, be somebody that you can rely on. That's why this is such an important and just an important topic, but an important move for the Bears when they said they were moving him to the left side. So that's why it's important. But I will say this, if he struggles in camp, if he's struggling against guys like a Khalil Mack and you know if Robert Quinn has one good rep every you know six practices and he it happens to be on Tevin Jenkins that's okay he's he's now tra- we're, we're talking about he transitioning from one position that he hasn't played I know a handful of games but I think it's not even in 2020 but 2019 is when mm-hmm. he's had those reps so it's it I'm expecting to see some you know just timing where he's off where Khalil Mack may just be doing what he does to most tackles Look what he did to Tristan Wirfs last last year in you know one of the best tackles that drafted last year. So he he's going to struggle, but that's not an indication of where his his career is going to go. But I think the big thing with with Tevin Jenkins is seeing the the practice day by day throughout the week. Is he not getting beat as much? Is he just enforcing his willpower and just getting nasty with people as you continue to see practices? 
as long as you see that, I think we'll be fine with Tevin Jenkins. But honestly, expect some hiccups. Expect some struggles. Expect him to be beat off the line. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen. He's a rookie, and that should be expected. But come week one, come the regular season, I think we'll see Tevin Jenkins just come into his own and be more familiar with the left tackle position. I appreciate uh, how you mentioned, uh, you know, it's going to be a rocky road. It's more than likely going to be a little rocky road. I do think we should give him a little bit of credit that maybe it's seamless. I mean, maybe those chances are small, but maybe uh, it is something that he just picks up. And it's like riding a bike. All right, cool. We're done. However, most likely that's not the case. So when it comes to Tevin Jenkins and to me why this storyline is so important, it's going to be, and this is where I really miss being able to go to all the Bears practices, uh, like what I was able to do a few years ago, because I would go there day one, and I would kind of watch Jenkins and see how he's faring, and then a couple weeks later, after going to camp, all right, what's he look like now? And just kind of see where he's grown, how he's progressed, so take his benchmark, see if he's gotten better, and then that would be, to me, a telltale sign that he's making the transition, and he should be a very good player there for the Bears this year and in the future. So I'm going to rely on you, Nick, uh, to kind of give us uh, that lowdown to see that growth from practice to practice, from week to week, from preseason game, comparing to what he looked like here that very first day that will be opening up in just about a week. Mason, how about you? Tevin Jenkins, left tackle, what's on your mind? Well, first off, Nick, I'm actually just thinking, since you know you got that lift in with James Daniels, hopefully you're feeling strong. Can you like sneak me into training camp in a backpack or something? Like just throw, like, throw me on there, and I think – that should work out, right? We just need to find a, a big big enough backpack has some, you know, holes that you can maybe. breathe in. I think we'll be fine, Mason. I guess <laughs> the bigger question, Mason, are you flexible? That too. I'm surprisingly flexible. Hey, I did wrestle in college. I got I got some bend to me. All right. But go back for <laughs> back to the alignment. There we go. Um, uh, we so in terms of him mainly playing right tackle, I think, you know, a lot of us know that story about how, you know, that injury happened. And, you know, originally he was going to play on the other side of the line. And then one of his, he asked his teammate, which was the brother of his significant other, um, hey, where do you want to play? And the teammate said he wanted left tackle. So Jenkins was like, all right, I got I got right side. So it wasn't, you know, a, a skill issue or anything like that. It was right, more or less, he was just being a really good teammate. And you know, wanted to stay in the positives with his girlfriend, probably. <laughs> but uh, in addition <laughs> to that, like the you see a lot of times with issues with linemen, right? It is is the attitude issue, and he clearly doesn't have that. He's got that nasty streak to him, and he's in such a good situation, right? The the defensive players on the other side of the ball really should push him to to be the best he can be. He's going to see a variety of moves from the likes of Mac and in theory, maybe a Quinn, depending on how he feels that day. Um, and he's Juan Castillo is such a tactician and, and teaches so well the offensive line that I would not be surprised if, you know, he really gets Tevin Jenkins up to speed very quickly for that left tackle role. And he just seems like a guy that wants to learn. So ultimately, I don't have a huge, huge concern there for him, but it is a very important position because it is protecting that blind side. So you can't, you know, reduce how important that position is. But if someone's going to make that transition, it should be him. And remember, right, the Bears made the choice. We're just going to get rid of our starting left tackle and move this rookie over. You don't do that if you're not confident as a team that he can make that transition as well. Mm-hmm. All very valid points. Nick, what kind of reaction would you have and what you would expect out of Bears fans if – Tevin Jenkins goes out there day one, and let's just say he puts Robert Quinn right on his uh, little behind, like very first rep. I mean, it's Robert Quinn. They'll be like, oh, okay, that's happened. Stepping well, look, stones. I think, 
Yeah, stepping stones is true, but very similar to how the one clip of David Montgomery just trucking everybody in the Bears defense, what was that, two years ago, that would be, I think, the reaction, seeing a pancake or, you know, just Tevin Jenkins just manhandling somebody. But, yeah, uh, some a reaction similar to that because I think people are expecting that. We've seen a lot of people are going to go to camp, have seen his highlights, know what he's capable of. They want to see some pancakes. They want to see that physicality. Maybe a fight or two, but obviously, you know, you, you figure it out. But, yeah, something similar to what David Montgomery did a couple uh, training camp practices ago, just bouncing off people. Tevin Jenkins supplying breakfast to a Bears camp practice near you. All right, let's get into the number one storyline to pay attention to at Bears camp. And if you're a Bears fan listening and you don't know what's coming, uh, be prepared to be amazed. So storyline number one to pay attention to at Bears camp. How pro-ready does Justin Fields look? You have to save the biggest storyline for the last. This one was no surprise. And correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. This was the only unanimous choice where we all put at the same exact number one 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 for number one on this offense that is true the only unanimous yeah i thought that was pretty interesting so this is the only one that we all three agreed on a ranking out of over 20 different storylines that we did compile before this show but again not that big of a surprise uh we've all been told that justin field is going to play when mason when he is ready. That's right. When he is ready. So how ready does he look? Does he dominate the twos in practice? Is he commanding the huddle? Is he taking those snaps under center with just ease? And is he also making sure that everyone's at the right position, running the right route, and doing all the things you need under your QB1? Does he take on some of that leadership? Everything for Justin Fields, That the very first moment that he reaches the field for that first open practice, it's going to be taken under the biggest microscope that is the Chicago Bears fan base. So, Mason, I'm going to go to you. What are you going to be watching for for Justin Fields that will show you that this man is ready to play some ball? I think the biggest thing for Justin Fields, and we've talked about this a couple different times, but it's going to be some of the, the little things, how well he gets out of a huddle, the command of the huddle. Um, how well he reacts to a front, you know, an exotic front, things like that, because that was really something he didn't have to do in college, right? The plays just kind of came in from the sideline. Everyone looked at their wristband. All right, let's play. Um, but the thing that makes me feel pretty confident with that is the way that offenses have moved forward. There's a lot of concepts that really do come from college. And, you know, the, the concepts that they use, that the Bears use, Ryan Day uses when he's you know at Ohio State. So it's not like he's all of a sudden seeing a bunch of stuff that's entirely different. However, you do really have to see, okay, can he get the play in efficiently? Can he manage the snap count? Right? Can he notice when all of a sudden the defense rolls from a cover three to a cover four or to you know to a cover one? Just little things like that. Yeah, it's really going to be the little things, those details that Matt Nagy has just been preaching since he entered Chicago as a head coach all the way back in the winter of 2018. But how about you, Nick? What will show you that Justin feels, A, that he's ready? And I don't know why I'm going to ask this question. It's the most obvious question I've ever asked in the podcast. But why is that important? Well, it's important, Will, because he's a franchise quarterback. But here's here's what I'm going to be watching to see if he's already making steps like that in practice one. If he's running the offense and it just looks 
there's no hiccups. It looks fluid. There's not drop passes. There's not penalties because we saw that, you know, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky, Mike Glenn, whoever, whatever quarterback, if you go to a Bears training camp practice at Bourbonnais, you saw that happen constantly. The whistles would blow. The play would be over. They maybe have to do it again. But if what it would be just a breath of fresh air, Justin Fields gets in there. And I know there's still things he has to adjust to, but if it just looks like an NFL, how an NFL offense should look, man, you would just, I think, feel, you just feel something that you haven't felt before as a Bears fan. Like that's, that's, you know, progress being made and it's so early on. So that's what I'm going to be looking towards, especially when they're in red zone and things like that. There are a lot of times where the Bears offense didn't get into the end zone. Defense wins. The, the, the drill, that's the end of, you know, that one, go to the next, te- you know, whatever drill they have next. So if Justin Fields can efficiently and effectively just operate this offense that that takes in calling the plays, you know, executing right, throwing the right pass, making the right read, then we have something here. Then we know that Justin Fields is making the right progressions and just making the right progress to be that eventual starting quarterback. So, that's what I'm going to be paying attention to right from the very beginning. But he's under a microscope, like you said, Will. He could drink what Gatorade is he drinking, what headband is he wearing, everything. People are going to be like watching Justin Fields. He could be, you know, going off and just, you know, getting talking to Matt Nagy. People will tweet about it. They're probably all tweet about it, to be completely honest. So that's exactly what he's going to be under, and it's expected. I feel like it's going to be, I'm going to go to my childhood, but that one episode of SpongeBob, the talent show, when he comes out with the mop and everyone's clapping, like Fields just like, he just takes the snap. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And everyone's just clapping for it. Like, yeah. I mean, we're excited for the man. And I think why this is important, uh, and it's very similar to the Andy Dalton one that we talked uh, in the top of the show, how ready he looks will give us a good indicator how long we're waiting. Uh, So if he's looking a little behind, then we know there's some work to be done. If it looks natural, as you said, Nick, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, we may find out it's actually a really short tunnel. Uh, this bridge that Andy Dalton is may not be all too long. We can get across this valley here very quickly. Uh, so I think that his readiness, uh, whether it's something just like Jenkins, that it's something that starts off a little rocky and will grow, or if it's just something that's as clear and evident from day one and it doesn't change, I think that speaks volumes too uh, about where Justin feels at, not just you know in this offense, but also just as a professional quarterback mason any final thoughts here on uh justin fields and his pro readiness entering bears camp you also hope that right he the way he communicates with players we saw that already in, in ot rookie ota specifically but in otas you know is he telling the receiver what he should be doing if there's a mistake um when he's with the twos is he able to he should be dominate with the twos right he should very consistently score he should very consistently complete passes at a very high clip and this is out of his hands but is Nagy going to truly truly stick to hey you know you're a two you're only going to play with the twos is he going to get any run with the ones in training camp and if he does how early how often that's going to be a big part of it if you never even get to see him throw in a seven on seven to Allen Robinson that's a problem for me yeah, you're right. Uh, I can see that almost going both ways. Um, although I feel like seven on sevens, they kind of fluctuate some of the personnel that I've seen, at least in the past. It's been a couple of years, but sometimes the number one quarterback will be working with the twos, vice versa. I think they just kind of rotate the guys on the outside. Um, but yes, if he's not getting any kind of connection with A-Rob, then the Bears are putting themselves a little bit behind the eight ball there in terms of building that chemistry that I would hope is a long time 
uh, establishment here in Chicago that fields the Robinson connection. I know that the two of you would uh, hope for the same. Uh, Nick, how about you? Any final thoughts? This is uh, going to kind of close out, not the show just yet, but at least our top 10. No, I think these are some, you know, obviously the most important storylines. There's many more that, again, we didn't even make this show, but looking forward to trying to log and, you know, write down each one of these. So come training camp, we can get some, get some answers to some of the questions that we have from, you know, all the storylines that we have here. Okay, I'm going to tell you the one at the top of the show that I thought about as I was driving home from work. And you tell me if you think it had potential to make this top 10 or not. I think we did ourselves a disservice, at least not having it on the, the list that we ranked. What's a Sean Desai's defense look like? Right? Like, what the heck, guys? Like, how do we not think about that? Is he more aggressive? Is he showing those exotic looks? Are, it, it is camp, so you're not going to show everything. So does it look more vanilla? And if that's the case, should we be worried? Or do we just wait till week one uh, to see what the real thing looks like? Because sometimes those open practices, you don't want to show every little wrinkle that you're kind of expecting. But I do think it's worth noting what Sean Desai's defensive scheme and the aggressiveness and that mentality, can he reinstore that in the Chicago Bears defense? I think that would have been a great one to discuss here today. Well, well, we had something that I think our conversation would have gone there if the interchangeable cornerbacks switching on off, you know, switching sides. I, I think we would have we would have gotten there. But that is definitely a storyline that everybody should be paying attention to because that's a very, very important one in terms of what this defense could look like in terms of taking that next step and actually utilizing and maximizing the players that are currently on this defense. But we did have like, will the cornerback switch sides? We would have, we, I know our conversation would have taken us to Sean Desai, the new defense, how it looks, but very good point. It should have been, it should have been its own line and it would have made the top 10. I was driving home and, Days when I have shows, a little personal moment. I don't listen to music or anything. Like I have a 30-minute drive, windows are down, just kind of get in a zone. Like this is what we're gonna do. And I kind of go through like those mental reps of like this is what the show is. And I went through the top ten of my head. I'm like, wait a minute. Like it's a little offensive heavy. And I was like, what could I even mention about defense? It's like, oh, you know, just a new defensive coordinator and how he's kind of changing the scheme and the mentality of the defense. Maybe just that. What about you, Mason? Yeah, but like you said, Will. I think it's going to be very vanilla in training camp because, and then in the preseason games too, right? I mean, they usually run like, hey, four rush the quarterback and you kind of just sit back and wait. While it's a very interesting concept for week one, like you said, I don't know that we're going to necessarily see, you know, what truly this defense is ultimately going to be. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, we did the same with Nagy's offense uh, when he first came here. We're like, all right, what's this creative guy got? And like, doesn't look like anything. And then we got the week one and throwing all the fun plays. Like, oh, okay. Can't yeah, of course. You're not going to. Yeah, you don't exa- you don't want to show all your cards right away. But you feel like there has to be something that's different. At least you got to practice it sometimes, not just the close practices. You got to do it consistently enough to make an impact. So I think that's one. We'll call that an, uh, a bonus, a bonus storyline here to kind of end off the show. Nick, any final thoughts? And then I'm going to close out because, again, we're doing double duty. Let's we we have another show to get to. Will I'm good to with ending it here, but hey, that that is a bonus one for sure. 
All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the Chicago Audible. Uh, if you're some of those lucky fans that are going to Bears Camp this year, I hope that these storylines do help you as you're kind of watching those practices. Uh, thanks again for all those reviews over on Apple Podcasts. One more reminder for our Bears jersey giveaway winner, Samina, S-A-M-I-N-A. Make sure to reach out to us so we can send you that free Bears jersey of your choice. And up next, we'll be sharing our pre-camp 53-man roster predictions. So if you're listening to the podcast, that'll come out in just a few days. And if you're watching here live on YouTube, we're actually, like I said, we're pulling double duty. We're going to be recording that one here after a small break, a little wardrobe change for Mason. I know he likes to kind of alternate his attire here on the podcast. So in that next episode, who do we all have making the team? You get three different 53-man predictions. Who are our locks at every position? Who do we have making it barely on the bubble? Who's out? And maybe we have a dark horse candidate or two that not a lot of people are thinking will make the team, but we have them on our prediction list. So you'll find out all of those next time. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.